Back to the Culture Call on Praise 93.3 with L. Spencer Smith. Our desire is to reach and empower the community by discussing a cross-section of relevant topics from various perspectives that are essential to its growth and interpersonal connections. Be sure to save our call-in number 205-752-4800. Be sure to install the free Praise 93.3 app so you can send L. Spencer Smith a message or topic idea. Search for WTSK in your app store. This is the world great morning, great morning, great morning, precious people. You know what time it is. It's time for the Culture Call. Welcome. That's right. Welcome to the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith. This is the place where Tuscaloosa indeed meets the world. And, of course, for the next two hours, from 10 a.m. to 12 p.m., you know what we do. We're going to talk a little bit about everything. That's right. Everything from society to sports, education to economics, from religion to relationships. And, of course, as always, we are here to create a safe space. That's right. A safe space to have empowering conversations, empowering, provocative, and sometimes controversial conversations. And guess what? You can call in and chat it up with me as we learn together. That's what we're going to do together right here on the Culture Call. want to send a shout out to Brother Jay. He always leaves it hot for me. Yeah, from five, and he hands it off to me at ten, and this baton is blazing. So guess what? We're going to stay right there and keep it hot for you. want to welcome all of you if this is your first time uh, being a part of the Culture Call. If this is your uh, first time listening to us, yeah, we don't know where you are. This is the world back right here on the culture call with yours truly L. Spencer Smith and we are having an amazing day today that's right we're having an amazing day today this is still the day that the Lord has made yeah but we got some information for you as we talk about HBCUs that's right the significance of HBCUs their relevance and their resources that how we can support them and how they are much needed in the world in which we live you all know what is going on in our country right now and more than ever now more than ever we need to have our hbcus on point would you agree listen i am telling you that it is important for us to make sure uh, that what we do is is we understand how the world is moving, how we are being educated, what our children are receiving, what is necessary for them to be who they are called to be. You know, and HBCUs has had, have had a cornerstone in our community for uh, centuries, well, not centuries, but for decades. Yeah. Uh, yeah, almost going on a century as well. Some of them in 1800s uh, were uh, uh, the... Uh, HBCUs were formed, and uh, it's so very important because right now, as of 2021, uh, they, there are 107 historically black colleges and universities in the United States. That's right, in the United States. And, you know, oftentimes uh, I get in conversations with people who, trying, who are trying to understand uh, the difference between a pre, uh, PWI, uh, a, a, a predominantly white institution and a historically black college and university. Uh, what's the difference? What's the big deal about it? There is a big deal, you know, big deal in origin, number one, because why do HBCUs exist? And I think a lot of times we when I have that conversation with them, I have to start right there. Here is the reason why HBCUs literally exist. And that is because that is because of racial segregation and discrimination that was prevalent in this country. And so 
uh, uh, churches and uh, then states created what they call normal schools because we could not go to school or college and upper level education uh, with our, our white counterparts. And so they created this the state normal schools and the, the state normal schools turned into uh, HBCUs, uh, state technical schools that they would uh, teach and train uh, blacks. They t- later uh, turn into uh, historically black colleges and then uh, colleges uh, in the late uh, in the 60s and the 70s began to become universities offering more programming, bachelor's, master's and some doctorate degrees, uh, Ph.D. And now today, HBCUs are fully vibrant, producing most uh, of the black alumni, those who are receive post-secondary education in our country come from HBCUs. Uh, most of the lawyers and the doctors, uh, engineers come from HBCUs. And so, you know, it, it is very important for us to have this conversation because I think um, in in a world, uh, I don't say that we are in a post-racial world because I just don't believe it. You can look all over the place. Yeah. At Culture Call, we can look all over the terrain and know that this is not a post-racial country. Not at all. Matter of fact, it's not a post-racial world. It lied dormant for a while. It was quiet for a while or perhaps even not just dormant, but quiet because it has been working under under the belly of of politics, under the belly of religion, uh, under under the belly of 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 community uh, programming and policy. You know, uh, to to still keep the entrapments of uh, racism and white supremacy, and you know how uh, blacks and other minorities are viewed in our country. And one of the things that HBCUs have done uh, predominantly is to cultivate, create, and push the conversation of how racial animus and racial divide and discrimination is a thing that is holding back this country. It is the country's original sin. Racism is, right? Uh, this country was born in racism, whether you're talking about the indigenous people uh, being moved out west and onto reservations uh, by this this uh, discovery, this doctrine of discovery, this manifest destiny that came from Europe, the, uh, the Europeans, uh, moving to this country and, you know, uh, other week they're saying, you know, Christopher Columbus there. I don't even know who still celebrates Christopher Columbus because you will have to be definitely disconnected from reality and history to be celebrating Christopher Columbus. Christopher got lost and other people were already here. You can't found something. You can't find something. You can't discover something. When, when other people have already been there for years, right? And so we know the history of this country and whether it is moving again out of the indigenous people uh, onto reservations or whether it is, if it's human trafficking, uh, con- uh, moving, uh, the, the, uh, the people from Africa, the enslavement, uh, from Africa and the transatlantic slave trade over to this country to be, uh, servants and work mules and, uh, uh, domesticated animals to do the, the, uh, the civil work, S-E, the servo work of, you know, building the country and harvesting crops and planting crops and picking cotton, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, because we can go down a rabbit hole and talk about all of that. But, yeah, this country has been born in this whole racial animus. And one of the things that the racial divide and discrimination produced, that was what I called a a necessity, a positive necessity, was HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities, right? Uh, They were not established 
to celebrate the academic uh, the academic uh, prowess or the intelligence of the enslaved or the black uh, the blacks who were in this country. It was let's give them something so that you know we can attempt to comply with federal changes, you know, or or that we can give them a place where they can thrive and grow. And so the HBCU uh, was an experiment, or the HBC was an experiment in this country. Yeah, it was an experiment because they never really thought that we would produce what we produce and would have the longevity that we currently have. And so yes. HBCUs are a thriving, a thriving entity in the United States of America to the glory of God. I will definitely say that as a product of two HBCUs, Florida A&M University and uh, the School of Theology at Virginia Union uh, University. I am a product of that. My wife is a product of an HBCU. My children are products of HBCUs, right? And so my parents are products of HBCUs. My my uh, my parents in love are products of HBCUs because we understand the value and the vitality of what we bring to this country, right? That we have to make sure that those in our community, the children in our community have the opportunity to get the education that they need to have. And especially in our state, Alabama has the most HBCUs in the entire country with 14. So shout out to everybody who has who is attending, who has attended uh, uh, an HBCU, uh, HBCU here in uh, Tuscaloosa, Alabama. Yeah, the Stillman College and you have uh, one of the technical schools at uh, C.A. Fred campus of Shelton State. Yeah, all of those things, uh, all of those places. We've got miles up the road and I don't want to get to calling names, Alabama State, Alabama A&M. All of those places are centrally significant to what we are and who we are as a people in our community offering and providing us education. Now, before, let me go and say this, uh, what I am saying today and what we're talking about today is not casting aspersions against the University of Alabama, but history does not lie uh, in its own video that it was never intended. Um, And we're talking about intention. We're not talking about what it was, what it is now, but it was never intended for us to go to the University of Alabama point blank period, right? I mean, when, when, when the governor stood on the steps of Alabama and said segregation uh, today, segregation tomorrow, segregation forever, George Wallace said that. When he said that, they meant it, right? And so we had to literally fight to get into uh, the University of Alabama, right? So, I mean, that that's just what it was, and that's just, you know, what the times were. And I know you relegated to the times, but I think that's very important because we're currently having a conversation, well, of, of, of mass integration of their state, uh, states like Florida that are trying to attack uh, HBCUs in terms of what they're teaching uh, in colleges in terms of uh, diversity, uh, DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, they're shutting down uh, black history programs, Af- African-American history programs, uh, advanced uh, 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 programs in high schools and uh, uh, undergraduate and college level classes. Uh, they're shutting down those departments and because they're, they're uh, castigating CRT because what CRT studies on a college level, and really it is a master's degree level understanding. Let me say it again. 
What critical race theory really studies is how historically the laws and policies have been disenfranchising and following those uh, those strings, those nerve streams and those uh, those particular efforts uh, to undermine the achievements of African-Americans in this country and how systemically from a litigious uh, perspective, how it affects every level of life for black people in this country. And so critical race theory is not something that teaches young uh, white kids to feel guilt about what their uh, not too so long ago grandparents did. That is not what it is. Uh, CRT is not teaching uh, this thing that they call wokeism. Of course, they're using it and applying it wrong because that's kind of what they do. Uh, and that's use use our lingo wrong or uh, incorrectly to try to, you know, reverse it. Uh, 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 a CRT critical race theory does not teach, you know, black children to hate white children. What it does, it identifies. It is not even taught in elementary and middle, middle and high school. So then, you know, you've got to understand politically it is being used. It, the, the fact that CRT is being used is a racial disenfranchisement tactic that has been used uh, for centuries. It has been right. That's what it's being used as. It is not true that it is, uh, you know, um, you know, they, they have something. Yes, we teach something in uh, elementary school and middle school about black history. That's not CRT. That is not CRT. It is showing from a policy perspective and a policy position uh, exactly how in, embedded in the laws and embedded in the processes and programs of this country, that racial disenfranchisement and white supremacy is still a part of the entire conversation. That's what CRT really is. Don't believe the hype, right? Folks are trying to appeal. And when they say that they're trying to appeal, watch this, to the racist context of the constituency in their district, in their nation, right? And so that's what it's all about. So racism uh, plays a significant part in why and why HBCUs even exist today. And yes, now if you were if you were uh, fortunate or whatever, had the ability to go to a, a PWI, to God be the glory for you. I mean, I shot you out. Hey, you know, roll tide. Ain't got an issue with it. If you like Auburn, Auburn you know, War Eagle, no problem there. In the University of North Alabama, South Alabama, none of that. No, that's not the conversation. That why HBCUs exist. I am simply telling you that HBCUs exist because of the longstanding racial segregation and and racial input, uh, racist input that has been prominent in our country. All the more reason, even today, even today, when you're looking at you know what goes on in America. It still talks about and speaks of the vitality and the necessity of why HBCUs need to exist, especially to give opportunity to our children, and our young people in the community. That truth be told, that a lot of us would not have been able to even go to college, go to and get that secondary education if it had not been for HBCUs. For a lot of you listening to me, you were born in a time when that was not, you know, going to a predominantly white institution was not even an option for you. That it was the HBCUs that gave you the option to have a higher education. 
right? For me, I always knew. My brothers and sisters, uh, they went to PWI. My older brother and sister, they went to the University of South Carolina, uh, the Gamecocks. And my baby brother, he went to Florida State, the Seminoles, right? But for me, there was something inside of me that says, I want to be a part of the HBCU system. I want to see you know, exactly what is all, what was the, you know, the, 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 I would look at my mom's and my dad's, uh, yearbooks from Claflin, uh, Claflin College at the time and South Carolina State College at the time. They later became universities. And I just kind of saw the, the environment. I saw the achievement. I saw the Queens. I saw the football team. I saw the bands and, and all of that resonated with me, within me. And so, you know, I knew that when I had the opportunity to go to school on, on a post secondary uh, level, that the HBCU would be my choice. I knew that that was someplace that I wanted to go, right? And, you know, uh, I can remember the day that I stepped foot on uh, the campus of Florida A&M University in Tallahassee. It used to be FAMC, and actually it started out being the state normal college of Florida. In other words, again, that, that's what I said. They used to call them normal schools, you know, the state normal school. They wouldn't even call them colleges back in the day. It moved from the state normal school of Florida, uh, you know, and then it went from that to FAMC, right, Florida A&M uh, College, and then it grew into Florida A&M University. And uh, one of the, the reason why we're called the Rattlers is because the land that the state gave us was filled with rattlesnakes. That's what the lore is. It was full of rattlesnakes. And those who were preparing the foundation of our university at the, uh, at the time had to fight rattlesnakes and had to get them off of the land so that they can build the foundation for what is now uh, the the Florida A&M University. And it is the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee. So the state literally gave uh, these black people some of the, the, the worst land at the time, hilly terrain at the time that they didn't think that those uh, those uh, black folks could, you know, really, you know, produce and make productive. And to this day, yeah, uh, since 1887, we have been in uh, we have been in uh, moving toward where we are now to be one of the top HBCUs. Uh, but matter of fact, the number one HBCU public public HBCU in the country. And and now we're also one of the uh, top 100 schools in the entire country. So not just HBCUs, but Florida A&M is one of the top schools in the country, right? And so, yeah, but that was not the plan at the beginning, right? So there is a rich history. Those of you who have gone to HBCUs, we this is a rich, rich history. You know, we have a tremendous level of, of history, a tremendous level of perseverance and resilience and achievement, right? That should not be put off. But here's my concern today, and this is what I'm going to be talking about. Our, my concern is, are we really holding up the relevancy of the HBCU culture and their significance in this country? Are we still believing that they are relevant? I know that we have access to go to any place that we want to go now. I know we can go to to... Again, if you're in Alabama, University of Alabama, you know, you can go to University of Miami. You can go to Florida State. You can go to University of Texas, Texas A&M. You can go to anywhere you want to go. I get it now, right? And you can receive a great education. Absolutely. Totally understand that. But my question is what that you have to recognize. You have to recognize, number one, that was not always the case. Number one. Number two, here's what else you have to recognize. 
you must also recognize that that wasn't the case not too long ago. And there is still some undercurrent of, you know, we don't belong there. You know, in the Supreme Court, we just had a case that affirmative action against affirmative action against Harvard and all those other kinds of schools that, you know, they could not use affirmative action to get us in those places as if, as if we only got into those places because we were black, not intelligent, not academically inclined, not academically successful, but because we were black, which of course is not the truth, right? But of course, you get a conservative court that overturns affirmative action and all of those different kinds of things. And yeah, that is kind of where we are, you know. And so they can't use that, that, that measuring stick, quote unquote. But they said nothing of legacies. They've said nothing of, you know, uh, you know, nepotism that happens where, you know, you don't even have to be smart because your parents went there or they've opened a gate for you to go to what we consider these grand levels of institution, the Harvard's and the Princeton's and the, you know, the, the, the Smith's and all of the all of those different kinds of things. Right. <laughs> right. So, again, there seems to be an attack on HBCU and black black education, black public school education, and the history thereof. Because whenever you attack the history, you intend something, tend for something to not to have a future. Let me say that again. Listen, culture call. That there you have to recognize that HBCUs are being attacked in this country. When you look at it, when you look at it from a real talk, HBCUs are chronically underfunded. I want to say that. I want to say that. HBCUs are chronically underfunded. Right now, there are legal suits and lawsuits uh, that are happening right now uh, in Tennessee and North Carolina, in Florida, and in southern states predominantly because the states, the state legislatures have underfunded HBCUs, not on the same level of uh, uh, PWIs. Because, and, and, and that is that is intentional. And let me tell you why it's intentional. Because if you underfund HBCUs, if they are chronically underfunded, they've got to charge more for people to attend. Again, you see that, right? And so what we do is we fuss about, well, it's so high to go there. Why should I pay this? And why should I pay that to go to HBCU when this college, when this PWI is XYZ, right? Right. Well, that's an ignorant conversation because you don't know the backstory. That states are intentionally underfunding HBCUs so that those prices can go up so that you can make that argument. And, and here is it. From a cultural perspective, they've really recognized that we will attack our own, especially around money. Especially around money. How come it costs so much to go to Stillman? How come it costs so much to do this? And I, I, I can go to this place. Right. Cause they get you in the pocket. As always, <laughs> as always, because they know that cash rules everything around you, right? And so, yeah, and so, but that is because they are not funded equi- uh, equitably like PWIs are. They are not, right, they underinvest, right? And so each public university is supposed to get money from the state, depending on performance. Well, when you underfund me and we can't get the level of resources that other schools have, then we have to charge more to make up that difference. And we know you're not going to look at. They know black folks are not going to look at, you know, how they're underfunding. You're going to say, well, the, the administration is getting this and the administration. They know we're going to go to attacking ourselves. They know that. They, they, they know that.
They know that by and large, our alumni do not contribute back to the university. And I'm saying this because we're in homecoming season now and everybody's excited about homecoming. And we, we, we spend Monday going to homecoming and everything else, right? But yeah. But when we come to that halftime and they tell you how much money they've raised at halftime and we clap, 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 you have to understand that, you know, for decades, HBCUs have been underfunded billions of dollars. And so when you look at the increasing cost of education, if you look at the the the, the animus around student uh, student loan cancellation, debt cancellation, those things are, are tremendously affecting black and brown people. That's what they're doing. They are they are affecting us, and we need to be aware. We need to be aware that if we don't address these systematic things, then our HBCUs will not exist. And what will be of our children and the next generation? Because we still need definitely our HBCUs. Listen, we're going to have a conversation about this. Yeah, I think we're going to do this a couple of days. <laughs> we're going to talk about this right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, Elspeth Smith, right here on Praise 93.3 FM. Go ahead, get hydrated, get your little drink of water or something, and be right back here. We've got more to come. Contemporary and traditional gospel. Praise 93.3 and 790 WTSK. The truth. WTSK Tuscaloosa. The world And we are back right here. Everybody, it's time for a culture call. Hey, everybody, it's time for a culture call. It's the top of the hour, 11 a.m. and some change right here on the Culture Call with yours truly, L. Spencer Smith on Praise 93.3 FM. And we are having a great day, an amazing day here at the Culture Call. Listen, I want to inform you. Here is the big community announcement that I'm going to be doing all week. This is the big community announcement. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? On Wednesday, my new single is releasing. Good deal. That's that's the that's the you know that's it right there. On Wednesday, my new single is releasing. Uh huh. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's called Great Things. That's right. You can go ahead to your Apple, your Spotify, wherever you uh, listen to your music, and you can go ahead and pre-save it. That's right. My new single, Great Things, is going to be releasing for my upcoming record, Now or Never. Yeah. Uh, that's going to be released the first quarter of 2024, and I am super excited to be releasing new music. Some of you, most, a lot of you have been asking me, when are you getting a new record out? I mean, all over the country. Where are you, when new music coming? When is new music? Well, guess what? New music is here. It's on its way, definitely, uh, on the culture, uh, on, on, well, I'm going to debut it on the culture call, but you can get it on your Apple, your Spotify, your, uh, you know, whatever, what, what, Pandora, you know, I don't know where you get your music from, you know, depending on what kind of device you might have, Google Music, all that these other stuff, you know, whatever they got out there. I'm telling you right now, you can go today and search out great things uh, by El Spencer Smith. It's going to be a blessing to you. I know it is. And I'm going to need you to tell me exactly how much of a blessing. I love the music on this new record. Um, I'm a little bit more churchy. On this record, you know, my first one, Unstoppable, was a lot, a lot of praise and worship. 
you know, uh, a lot of worship context. And then my second record, Hooked, uh, which is just a blockbuster of a record, um, is more of, mm, it's more, a um, more urban R&B kind of thing. It is wonderful. But most of y'all like the song on there, The Cross Alone. That's on there as well. And so on Hooked. And then this one, I decided to go back a little bit to my churchy roots or my more churchy, uh, contemporary church. That's the best way to put it. Contemporary church roots. I think that is going to be, uh, uh, you know, one of my signature records in, in, you know, the first quarter of 2024, now or never. Um, yeah. So y'all get excited about it because I am, I don't really know how to feel about it. You know, um, I'm just in this, spot in my life where, you know, I am so appreciative and grateful for uh, the longevity that I've had been able to have um, in the music industry. Uh, I started in 1994. Yeah, 1994 in the in the industry. So what that what's that? Um, almost what? 29 years. Yeah. 29 years in the music industry, the gospel music industry, and to be able to still be doing music and to still be singing and still be, you know, hearing how, how my music is blessing people is just, I, I, you know, it's, uh, I, I, ha, I don't, I don't have words. And I am a man that is, you know, I am very rarely lost for words, but every time I think about, you know, exactly, you know, what I've been able to do all of these years, um, I, I can say to definitely to God be the glory for the great and amazing things that he continues to do for me. And that could not be so without you. Let me say that again. It could not be so without you. So definitely, definitely, I want you to consider uh, going ahead and pre-saving. And here's why you pre-save. So you won't miss the release. Um, and I don't want you to miss it. Um, I'm going to start singing it. Uh, singing the single, you know, more and more as I go out uh, and creating concerts because I haven't done a concert in a while, y'all. Yeah, I haven't done a concert in a while. And I think I'm going to do some, you know, concerts and maybe some touring or whatever that is. But nonetheless, I need you to support the music. That's right. I need you to support the music. So I am super, super glad to tell you on October 18th, you will be able to hear my brand new single, Great Things, right here yeah, on Praise 93.3, and you can hear it on your own personal device. I'm super, super excited about that. And, um, yeah. And not only that, not only that, uh, but, but as we move forward to, um, the, uh, the full album's release, we're going to let you know about that too. Again, it's not going to be released until the first quarter of 2024. That's January, February, March. Don't know a specific date yet, but I know that's when it's going to come out. And of course, I need the support of all of you all around the country that listen to us every day on the Culture Call that's familiar with my music, familiar with my ministry, familiar with me and what I do. Yes, I'm going to definitely, definitely need your support. So thank you in advance for that. Listen and go ahead and mark on your calendars October 28th, Saturday, October 28th, 1 p.m. to 5 p.m. Boost Your Brand Pop-Up Shop. That's right. Boost Your Brand Pop-Up Shop sponsored by Black Graphics 2101 Bowers Park Drive right here in Tuscaloosa, Alabama. That's right. 
I need you to do that, right? Uh, Cece Cooper is going to be the hostess, and they have a cadre of vendors that are going to be out. Hopefully already you called her. Uh, we've been announcing this almost all month. Uh, you called and that you've reserved your spot if you want to be a part. You can call at 205-722-3770, and they will point you in the direction if you want to be a vendor at the Boost Your Brand pop-up shop. Yeah, my dear friend DJ Tank Sinatra is going to be the MC. You do not want to miss that. That's right. Be a part of that. And, um, yeah, I'm telling you, it's going to be amazing that that day. And I'm all for promoting uh, black businesses and black vendors, black entrepreneurs. It's so uh, essential to our community. And so, yeah, be a part of that, uh, m- making sure that your brand pops out. Yeah. Don't worry about, well, there's more, I, I, you know, there's so many people selling jewelry and I don't want to put my stuff out there. Listen, they ain't got what you got. Everybody has their own spice, their own twist, their own fit. So go ahead and be a part of that pop-up brand uh, uh, vendor spot. Get it. Yeah. Make sure that you are a part of that at uh, 2101 Bowers Park Drive. You don't want to miss it. Sponsored by Black Graphics. Absolutely. And don't forget, if you have any announcements, uh, email me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com. I want to let Lottie Dottie and everybody know what's happening in your negative woods. I want to make sure that people put faces in the place, whether it's your church anniversary, uh, whether it's your choir concert, whether you're having a business seminar. Yeah, uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I definitely want everybody to know you feel much better when we are able to say that we supported you and you can see our faces and, you know, buying tickets or, you know, just our presence. Yeah, because your presence, our presence speaks a lot. So, yeah, make sure that you email me that or you can definitely follow us, follow us on the Culture Call Facebook page. And uh, uh, you can send it to me there. Just all you got to do is press like on Culture Call, the Culture Call. Press like, and then you can start sending me your messages, your uh, your flyers and everything through the Facebook page. And I will definitely, definitely uh, announce it on the air so we will know exactly what to support. Yeah, so you've got two ways to get it to me. Two ways to get it to me. Don't pass it to me if you see me on the street because it's going to get lost. <laughs> I promise you. But all of the things I have to do, don't do it. Don't tell me if you see me in the street. Email me at culturecall.praise at gmail.com or go ahead and follow the Culture Call uh, Facebook page. Like it and then you can send me messages and we will definitely say uh, and, and announce exactly your event or your service, right? Listen, and so I, I want to talk a little bit about in this half uh, of the show, the relevance of, of HBCUs. And we talked a little bit about resources in the last segment, you know, and, you know, the complaint that HBCUs cost a lot. And I'm not going to, I'm, I'm definitely not going to fuss at that because I've been done the research and I'm looking at the numbers. They are increasing. And of course, the, a lot of that is because they're still trying to stay ahead of the curve with regards to advancement, uh, hiring uh, great professors, uh, who are, you know, who are cutting edge professors offering cutting edge programs, expanding, you know, various levels of programming, adding, you know, uh, uh, certain levels of academic achievement. A lot of HBCUs are adding uh, doctorate, doctoral programs and PhDs and all of those different kinds of things uh, and the like. Uh, they're advancing, you know, in their dorms and offering more, uh, uh, you know, technological, you know, uh, it, uh, you know, uh, uh, labs and and all of those things that they're trying to add. You know what I'm saying? And it, it, it costs money to do that, 
right? <laughs> it costs more than prayer, and it costs more uh, than the five or $600 we might spend, may spend on uh, uh, um, during homecoming, you know, since this is homecoming season, right, during the fall. So their, their greatest their greatest level of finances and resources come from this kind of season because we come back and check, and, of course, you know, we see what's good and we see what's not. We complain, but do we give to it as alumni? You know, the state level underfunding is already in litigation now. Um, uh, a dear friend of mine, uh, Attorney Benjamin Crump, is heading some of that. And other states uh, are finding attorneys and going, taking uh, legislatures to court for how they have historically underfunded that. So the resource question is already uh, it, attempting to be, to find solutions and answers of how those things can be uh, rectified so that we can have a better future, right? However, comma, we definitely, definitely need to continue to pu- uh, to push the relevance and the significance of HBCUs, especially to our young people, especially to our young people, because I believe in the world that they are in today, in this post-integration world. Did you hear that? In this post-integration world, in this post-diversity, economic, uh, equality, and inclusion world, right? When we have so many, especially in the southern states that are raising up to to promote erasure, to disenfranchise and fight HBCUs economically, right? When we're living in that kind of world, then we need to begin to talk about to our young people the continual and uh, 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 consistent relevant relevance rather of HBCUs, right? And the first uh, relevance that I want to push today is it gives our young people an access to quality higher education. HBCUs give young black uh, uh, children, young black youth and minorities a access to a great higher, uh, great access to higher education. Yeah. And not only from just, uh, uh, you know, uh, the, the what I described before, seeing themselves in their own culture of advancement and the people who have, you know, are in different uh, phases of life who are professors and presidents and doctors, et cetera, not only do they get exposed exposure to that, but there has to be a safe space that they can be educated and not have to worry about the disenfranchisement and the systemic, you know, segregation and oppression of other spaces, that they're not educated from the perspective of, I'm trying to say this nicely on the culture call, from the perspective of someone else's reality, both historical, present, and future. Right, that they get a sense of self as they are educated at an HBCU, and I believe that that is a crucial role for the developing young African American that they can sit in class and learn and understand not just from an educational perspective, but from uh, an ontological perspective, a perspective of being and understanding their worth and value in this country. I think that is significantly important for them to understand. 
especially if they've never had that experience in high school. If they went to a predominantly white school, uh, a predominantly white high school, and they were nurtured in the in that particular context, I think what is important, and again, again, I say I think, and I don't want you, because I don't want you to think that I am mandating this, or I'm saying that they'll receive something lesser uh, if they go to another school. What I am saying is that they've lived in this world. They've already lived in that world and had an exposure of perhaps most of their teachers being white, that, that most of the culture is based off a, a, a white context, right? I, I think HBCUs will hold a significant place in their lives because then they begin to function and learn how to function in a context that reflects them, right? And have being educated in that kind of environment to hear black and brown people talk about the history and all of the uh, the opportunity and to be educated in that kind of space and knowing that in four in, in four years they will graduate prayerfully four or five years they will graduate with a degree and become a connected to you know this higher uh, space of education. That comes out of the African-American context, you cannot beat it. I'm just telling you from experience, it does something something to you. Absolutely. My children, uh, my, my son went to Morehouse. My daughter went to Spelman. And my, uh, my baby son, he went to uh, Florida A&M, right? And the context to see how those, that African-American educational context opens up, uh, open them up to who they were as black people in this country, in this world, and giving them a sense of value and worth and the articulation of that worth, the, the, the diversity of perspective and their innate ability to fight and to speak up for those who are disenfranchised or who are marginalized, right? And do that from a, 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 an understanding, an academic understanding, a psychological understanding is is amazing is amazing and so yes i would definitely in the world that we're in today that is so very significant that our young people have that and 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 dare i say they can they can only get that at this time at an hbcu because even black professors and minority professors that are at those PWI universities, they're being hushed and silenced and attacked and threatened losing their jobs if they speak that. They're trying to remove those programs even from the university. And so, yes, an HBCU is where they can have access to a pristine higher educational experience as a young African-American person uh, uh, in this country, right? Here's another uh, what, what, where they play in the relevance, the cultural and historical preservation that is, uh, HBCUs are going to make sure that our children understand exactly where they come from, not and, and not from just the transatlantic slave trade, but they're going to deal. There's going to be an Afrocentrism that causes them to understand, whoa, the context of the continent the mother continent, Africa, the context of of how the history, yeah, the history of what we have developed in this country that was, uh, you know, that was stolen or, and or borrowed and patented under another name, but you're, they're going to learn that, that we were not just cotton pickers, that we were not just 
the, those who were, you know, step and fetching and those who were just uh, ignorant and shackled. They were not talk, they're not going to just understand that at the HBCU context. HBCU context is going to start from the genesis. Yeah, the genesis. See, because, again, the transatlantic slave trade is not the genesis of who we are as black people. And our children need to understand that. They need to know that as they try to seek to navigate through the nuances of this interesting society in which they live. Right? And, and so that, that culture and that history and that heritage that they will learn. Right. That sense of community and identity and celebrating and and promoting African-American traditions, the art, the literature, the contributions to society that we have made that. Yeah. To walk into halls. You know, every HBCU has a hall of history of that of that university. And I can remember uh, taking my my baby son. He first went to Troy University, then he transferred to Florida A and M University. And I can remember us going to the Black Archives on on the campus, and uh, him walking through and just being stuck with all of the history and the achievements of those who had went to the university. And I can remember him uh, standing there, just mesmerized, because in the in the Black Archives at, at uh, Florida A and M. They have uh, one of the reformed KKK Grand Wizards, you know, donated his hood, donated his whole garb to the university. And I can remember my son just standing there and staring at that and all of this and, and seeing, reading the history of the people, of his people. And, and not just starting from when they landed in this country, you know, and from a 1492 perspective and all of these different kinds of things. No, but before then and how he's like, yeah, this is where I need to be. This is where I need to be from that whole context, you know, and and, you know, just listening to the conversations and how it elevated his understanding and his sense of worth in America. That was amazing. And so that's what they get at HBCU. That's what they get there. Absolutely. That's right. That there alone makes them relevant, makes HBCUs relevant. Here's another one, uh, academic success, that most black doctors, lawyers, yeah, uh, engineers come from HBCUs. Yes. When you have your North Carolina A&Ts, your Florida A&M universities, you have your Howards, you have your Morehouse, you have your Spelmans, you got your Tuskegee's, right? Black veterinarians, right? All of those people, they come from HBCUs. Now, you don't, you, yeah, I know you're sitting like, for real? For real? <laughs> they do. Do the research. They don't say that. They don't tell you that. That's not something that is promoted in this country. That's not something that is in the narratives of higher education. That's not that. They, you don't see that on Saturday mornings. You don't see the, the, the majesty and the prowess and the artistic uh, genius of our marching bands. You don't see that on Saturday. Very rarely do you see it, right? Very rarely do you see that, right? You don't see the culture, right? For all of the culture that's happening, you know, next week uh, we're going to be dealing with uh, the Magic City Classic between Alabama State and Alabama A&M. That is one of the most uh, populated uh, uh, games in the country. Yeah, classics in the country. Absolutely. But you don't hear about it. 
because you know what? It's not a bowl game. It's not, yeah. See, so we're being conditioned to think that we're not achieving, and the HBCUs, where they don't get the uh, high publicity, they don't get the this and that and that, and so especially in athletics, you know, you know, some of our most achieving and best players uh, choose to go to PWIs because of the exposure, because of the exposure. Because, hey, if I go to HBCU, I may not, still might not, you know, those who have aspirations of playing on professional level athletics on a, on the NFL and all that, they know our NBA, uh, they're not going to get the spotlight that's going to come to the HBCU. And not because they're not good enough, but it has been structured that way. I, I need you to get an understanding. It has been structured that way intentionally to preserve a certain mentality concerning HBCUs that you don't get the same opportunity at an HBCU, not because they're better, but because of the overwhelming public uh, lack of, of publicizing the great achievements that we have in the country. That, that That's it. That when you look at the legislature, let, let, let uh, the legislature of any city, when you see a black person, uh, you know, eight times out of 10, that person went to an HBCU. Absolutely. You know, and and that's what they that's what they try to place in the mindsets of our young people that in order to make it in this world and have a spot in this world that you've got to matriculate from the school that reflects our system, PWI, as opposed to HBCUs. Right. And but the level of, you know, uh, the cultural preservation and getting them to know exactly, you know, who we are and what we are is what HBCs do. They say in spite of all of the, the neglect and what you may not know, that if you if you know what you know and they can't take away the fact that you are achiever, they can they cannot erase you. And that's what part of the cultural and historical preservation of HBCUs. Here's another one, academic excellence. And I just told you that uh, that we have a longstanding tradition of academic excellence producing, you know, notable alumni who have made significant contributions to various fields. That's what I told you. Right. We've cultivated that. We have cultivated that at HBCUs. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, we have a sense, a profound sense of community, a profound sense of community. We get involved with the community, right? Our gates are open for, to the community. You know, recently we've had to change that because of some, you know, uh, destructive elements that come on the campus and create ruckus. You know, we don't normally have violence on the HBCU campus. It's people that come from outside of the, the, the university or the college that comes on campus to create that. And so we've had to, you know, set up a strengthen and, and strict security and put up gates and, and, you know, access. We have to increase access because people come in, you know, because mostly HBCUs are built and facilitated on the black side of town, on the west sides of town. Right. And so we're already within our community. So we have to be embraced by the community and we have to embrace the community. And here is the truth. You know, sometimes the people in the community uh, are, are, are jealous of the students that go to that particular college and a university and, and, and they come and create ruckus 
instead of supporting, instead of being a part of the university in that community. And so, yes, HBCUs have to de- has had to definitely change some of that aspect in terms of security around that particular element. But yeah, you see what I'm saying? And so that's ne- that's that's necessary for us to understand. That is necessary for us to understand that uh, that academic excellence is top tier at HBCUs. Not only that, leadership development. That's right. Leadership development. That HBCUs are always instrumental in developing African-American leaders in various sectors, including politics, business, academia, and the arts. I told you that, you know, the prominent civil rights leaders, politicians, and entrepreneurs, and, you know, professionals, they have emerged from HBCUs. Today, even today. Absolutely. But you don't hear about that. You do not hear about that. And that is sad. But it is also, it's also intentional. It's also something that they don't want to add. They don't want to tell you. Yeah. They don't want to tell you that. And you got to start asking the question, Wait a minute, why do they don't want us to know this? Yeah, you got to begin to ask that question. Why don't they want you to know this? Right? We develop leaders at HBCUs as well. And then here's another one. Research and innovation. Research and innovation. That some of the top schools and the top innovative discoveries in the country as it relates to diseases and engineering and arts are developed at HBCUs, right? And they'll put it in a footnote or an endnote or a side note, and they'll caption it, you know, but they won't promote it. They won't promote it. Absolutely. That's right. That At Florida a and it's the FAMU FSU College of Engineering. It's not just the Florida State College of Engineering. No. All right? NCAT is one of the most predominant schools. Howard, one of the most predominant schools. One of the most influential schools with regards to uh, black women leading and innovating is Spelman College right there in Atlanta, Georgia. One of the forefront of, of, of preachers and politicians and thinkers that come out as black, uh, that come out of school with high achieving levels are right there at Morehouse College. Some of the greatest fashion designers you know, that are emerging now come out of Clark Atlanta University. Some of the, ama- the most amazing ed- educators have come right out of Stillman College, right? Some of the most amazing actors and entertainers come right out of Howard University. And we could run down the list, right? We, we, we innovate in social justice, innovate in the arts. We research health disparities, Right? We, we begin to write theses and help, you know, uh, re-engage people concerning educational equity and other critical issues that, uh, the, that affect marginalized populations. Those things emanate out of HBCUs. Yeah, they emanate out of HBCUs. But you don't hear that, do you? Well, you're going to hear it today. <laughs> you're going to hear it today right here. On the culture call. You better know this. You better know this. And then, again, I've already said this, community engagement. That we have strong ties 
to the local community. That's right. Part of our mandate at HBCUs is that we get involved with churches. We get involved with programming. We get involved with mentorship. We get involved with uh, secondary, uh, the educational, uh, the you know, elementary, middle, and high schools. We get in there. We intern as teachers. We go in there and be a part of you know coaching programs and you know uh, helping them with testing, etc. Because that's part of the culture that give back. We help with economic development. We help with voter registration. That's what HBCUs do. We provide resources and and support and opportunities for the surrounding communities. We don't just say, oh, well, I'm just in this city and I'm not involved. No, we literally, we literally adopt families or communities as family. Absolutely. That if the community had not been there when I was in college, you know, I can definitely say that, you know, I would not have been taken care of. My wife would have not been taken care of. You know, so that was one of the first things that we just tried to do is to make sure that, you know, even when our children or when our children go, hey, I know somebody in that town that if they ever need anything, if they ever need anything. Now, this this generation don't like to ask for help, but, you know, I like to make sure that they know that, hey, you know, when when my my, my child went to Florida in them, we still had people who were there when my wife and I were in college and we alerted them, introduced them to him and said, hey, he has this X, Y, Z going on. We get, If he ever needs anything, you know, he can't get in touch with us. We need you to take care of him. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's a part of the HBCU stream. That is a part of what we do. Yeah, <laughs> it is. And so, especially if you're concerned about your child and they're at that level, consider, I know you're considering PWIs. I get it. And I listen and I cast no aspersion. I ain't mad at you for thinking about the, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, predominantly white institutions. I'm not mad. Depends on what you want to do in your life. I get it. But, but, but do not, do not deter them from getting information and having an understanding about HBCUs and the opportunity that they can have at Stillman, Alabama State, Alabama A&M, Howard, Morehouse, Spelman. Don't do that. Don't say, oh, you don't want to go around on them black people. Don't do that because you never know what significance aspect they are missing when you do that i am telling you that hbcus really are necessary in the country in the world in which we live in today listen listen this is the culture call give me a call 205-752-4800 or you can definitely hit me up on the app yes 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 do that i want to hear from you you and most certainly you listen i want you to keep it right here right on praise 93.3 we've still got more show to go and i'm telling you it's going to be a blockbuster don't miss it and we are back right here on the culture call that's right right here on the culture call having an amazing day talking about hbcus that's right talking about 
something that is close to my heart. I'm telling you, I love my HBCU. That's right. I am a FAMUN, Florida A&M University, Tallahassee, Florida, the highest of seven hills in Tallahassee. Listen, orange and green, I believe. And so I'm grateful. Listen, if you had the fortunate opportunity to be a part of an HBCU, listen, kudos to you. Kudos to you most definitely. Uh, and to those of you who are expiring, listen, if there is no place. I will say it again. There is no place like an HBCU. So no doubt about it. We're promoting that today. Listen, maybe you have something you want to say about it. 205-752-4800. Or you can hit me up on the app and that would be great. That's right. You can do that. I can still read it and see it. And yeah, let's create a medicine conversation. Listen, this is day one as we talk about HBCUs. We're going to talk a little bit more about the culture on tomorrow and what significance that we can learn uh, from HBCUs uh, and how we can help strengthen them for the future. Listen, I've got a caller right here. I've got Denson right here. How are you, Denson? Just fine. How you doing? I'm doing well, sir. I'm doing well, sir. What you got good to say today? Today, I want to say I'm a proud graduate of Stillman College. That's right. part of our community. <laughs> Absolutely, man. I'm telling you, old hell Stillman. I love Stillman. And uh, I was just there doing their uh, chapel uh, last week. You know, a couple of weeks ago, I was there doing their chapel, man. it was um, It's amazing. I love Stillman College. What did you learn from Stillman while you were there? First of all, I've learned that I didn't get any black history in my high school. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, right. Yeah, yeah. And how important was that to you? It is very important. Yeah. Those atrocities that we've seen in the past Yeah. that we have endured, yeah. they're still happening today. It is. And if our people don't hurry up and learn to make this history important, there are people that are trying to keep it out of the education system. Wow. Because they don't want the kids to know it. They do not. They do. And that is, that is a tragedy. And I've been trying to tell people, they just don't, they don't want us to know. They just do not want us to know. And, and Denson, I tell you, we've got to continue to encourage, you know, our people to know more about our history, man. And man, shout out to Stillman College and all those, the new president there and, uh, all of the deans who are trying to make it better, who are trying to make it better. And, man, I salute you for repping your college, man. I support you, and I, I appreciate you representing the HBCUs today. Thank you, Denson. Have a great day. You too. All right. Listen, I'm telling you, and I know they're all across the city. I know uh, they're all across the country who love your HBCUs. You know, uh, in our church, we have a particular Sunday that we celebrate uh, HBCUs. That's right. We celebrate HBCUs. Uh, and uh, in February, we, we celebrate all of them, but we focus in on Stillman College because uh, annually our church has partnered, uh, you know, adopt a school, adopt a college kind of thing. We're in partnership with Stillman College at the Impact Nation uh, to prepare and raise funds and, you know, be a part of that community that helps raise awareness for the college, uh, whatever they need, you know, uh, for the school. We stand available to do that. And we're always glad to, to know, again, write that check out every year from our church to support them because our, our HBC needs resources. We understand their relevance, but they need the resources, watch this, to even market their relevance. Because even now, 
their relevance are not um, not marketed because sometimes the alumni they're not like Denson. They're not like me and a, a lot of you that talk up our, our our HBCU. You know, one of the things I love about my church, we talk smack about our HBCU. I've got some from JSU, mm-hmm, Jackson State, and, and Tuskegee, and uh, Alabama State A&M. And we just have a wonderful day, you know, of, of sharing stories. Uh, you know, we, we have our normal, you know, going back and forth, whose school is the best and which one. And, you know, we announce the schools and we shout and we holler and we scream. We're excited about that. Um, but we need resources, not only just to improve, you know, academic, uh, ac- for them to improve academically. However, we need those same, that same resources so that, you know, uh, uh, you know, so that we can we can you know promote them so that we can put a billboard up in the city you know i was i remember uh when i first got to the city and i was so excited because i had never heard of miles college in my life in alabama all i heard was alabama a&m and alabama state that was it i didn't hear about miles I didn't hear about Stillman, and I mean, until I met my wife, and and she's like, you know, we got an HBCU in, in, in Tuscaloosa. I said, a who? A what? I didn't even know that. And that was around 1990. I didn't even know that, right? And there are no billboards. There were nothing, there was nothing there to tell us about the school that's right up the street, you know? And, you know, uh, at that time, Stillman didn't have a football team. And, you know, I, you know, I was, went to a, a school that had a football team. And so their homecoming was in February and all that. It was just a difference there than it was at FAMU. You know, I can remember the first time that I went to South Carolina State, uh, and Howard University. I can remember dropping my kids off at Spelman and Morehouse. Just, you know, and I was offered uh, to go to uh, Morehouse College when I was trying to apply. I think I've said that before. It was Morehouse and FAMU. Um, Morehouse, I was going to go there and get pre-law and FAMU was music and I chose FAMU. Um, but yeah, I mean, I just didn't know. And so our universities, our HBCUs need money so that they can market. They can market. That they, you know, and I'm talking about market all across the city, not just on the side, on their side of town, right? Every time that I go back to Tallahassee and I go to Walmart and I see in Target, they have a section for Florida and m University right next to the floor, uh, section to Florida State that, you know, uh, you can see billboards all over the city for FAMU. I, I can remember, but that was not a time when it was so. I can remember that, you know, the Rattlers were the college of the year, uh, according to Time Magazine, U.S. News and World Report. And you really didn't see that in Tallahassee, you know, because it wasn't Florida State or it wasn't the University of Florida, it wasn't the University of Miami. Yeah, um, before uh, USF existed, uh, before all of those other schools existed, you know, we were at the top in the country, but you didn't hear that. You didn't hear it. And that was because they didn't see the need to market that, especially if it was an HBCU. But you would be surprised at the amazing achievements of HBCUs. And so those of you who attended an HBCU don't just support it during homecoming. Or do your various classics, your Turkey Day classics or your Magic City classic or your Florida classics or your Circle City classics. Don't just celebrate them then. 
but do it year round. Yes, do it year round. Right. Subscribe to the page of their on the uh, on social media. Subscribe to their pages so that you will know what's happening in the spring and on those down seasons in the summer, not just the fall. To see how your 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 uh, uh, your football team is doing or your school is doing in the CIAA, the SIAC, or, uh, or or the SWAC or the MEAC. Don't just do it then, but do it all year long. Do it all year long. Let's let's uh, let everybody know the amazing, awesome things that are happening with our historically black colleges and university at universities, and encourage. The students in your church, encourage them to take a look. Encourage them to take a look. You know, me, I, I go further than that. Again, I told you. <laughs> I say, hey, don't just don't take a look. Attend. Attend. That's why I said, yeah, go ahead and go to, you know, one of the things that we do is that we take, take students and, and, you know, we're preparing to take students on an HBCU tour. That needs to be a part of every black church's programming. They take them to HBCUs. Absolutely. Places that they may have never been and known about. Right? That take them to Tuskegee. Take them there. Absolutely. Let them know what's going on in the in the in, in our uh HBCUs all around the city, all around the country. You know? And that's that's so very very important. You know, you've got Central State, you've got Lincoln, you've got Cheney University, you've got all of those places that are still, you know, thriving today, but they don't get the publicity, publicity rather. Absolutely. They don't get that. And you know why they don't get that? Because out of sight is out of mind. Uh-huh. Let me say it again. Out of sight is out of mind. The Wilberforces. That was started by, you know, churches, AME Church, the Methodist Church, Stillman, Presbyterian Church. You've got a lot of uh, Bethune-Cookman. I believe that's United Methodist. That you've got, you've got uh, uh, those uh, churches that have partnered with the uh, HBCUs to promote it and to pu- publicize it. Let's get back to that. Let's get back to that. It is of a necessity now that the churches, in the communities and in our cities begin to find an HBCU to partner with, to to bring those people on campus and do a college fair at your church in your fellowship halls to make a presentation so that our young people will know what is available to them. Absolutely. That they can begin to see the scholarships that are being provided. That they can see that, yes, it might cost a little bit more, but we can get ahead of it. Unless those of us who have public uh, 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 folks that are in the legislature, public servants in civic government, let's encourage them to, yes, fight for money for the equitable uh, financial treatment of HBCUs. Give them the money you owe them and watch what they do. Right? That we, we have already shown you that we can still uh, uh, make bricks and build pyramids when you take the straw. 
But what would happen if you gave us the straw, the, the straw that we needed? What would happen if you gave us the prime ingredients that you're using to build other universities in the city? What would happen and what would be the result of HBCUs? We would definitely, definitely be at the top of the game. Absolutely. Absolutely. We need more than ever before, and I believe this sincerely, sincerely, we believe, I believe, that we need to foster a sense of, hey, yo, you got to be a part. You've got to be a part of what is happening at our HBCUs. You got to be a part. We've got to create a system that our children literally see themselves literally see themselves yeah we will literally see themselves in the mirror when they go to hbcus absolutely so listen i'm just telling you hbcus are still relevant but we need resources yeah i'm gonna see if they'll let me do a radiothon for hbcus because i i'm that is just close to my heart at least for stillman college right here in our own city I really want that to happen because I believe that if they had the finances and the resources, that they could, again, do great things. And not just Stillman. We talk about Miles and all of the other HBCUs that 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 are doing great ac- academically and teaching and training our new gen- next generation. Yeah. But they lack the resources. Yeah. And we need to get them some money, y'all. We need to match that relevance with some resources that I know you agree. Listen, this is El Spencer Smith right here on the Culture Call. Praise 93.3. Listen, we'll be right back to close after this short break. Don't miss it. 